0: Good morning and welcome to Between the Covers. I'm David Naiman, your host. Today's guest is debut novelist Alexis Smith, the author of the book Glaciers, published by Tin House Books earlier this year. Glaciers, which follows a character named Isabel through a day in her life in Portland, was a publisher's weekly pick of the week and received its coveted starred review describing the book as both lyrical and luminous. Welcome to Between the Covers, Alexis Smith.
1: Thank you. Nice to be here.
0: So Isabel is a twenty-something Portlander who works in a library, repairing books, and has a, a particular interest in vintage clothing and collecting ephemera from the past, uh, vintage postcards. Tell us, tell us what makes Isabel tick. What what is what is the what is she doing when with all of these activities in, in your mind?
1: Well, she's. Um, I think she's a little afraid of the future and in that way she sort of clings to the past both her own past her memories of her childhood in alaska and um and also the lives of others that she um she feels maybe have uh slipped out of memory um, yeah so i think she she's attracted to um these uh, other people's things because she she feels her own mortality maybe and the the mortality of the planet itself.
0: <laughs> I was going to ask you about that because the voice really feels like an old soul in a way. It feels like you'd imagine somebody who was reviewing their life, who didn't have much of a future ahead of them, um, having this sort of uh, attachment to retrospection and nostalgia, and yet we're looking at a a, a 20, 20-something-year-old woman who— um, you wouldn't, you wouldn't necessarily normally attach that voice to it, and it did give me a feeling of foreboding, like there maybe there isn't a future for for the planet, and and she's looking backwards instead of forwards because she can't imagine things of value. Was was that was that intentional? in, in how you put the book together?
1: It was actually, you um, know, in, in early drafts of the book, there was an almost um, pre-apocalyptic feel to it. It was set in a Portland that was very um, that was that was dark. The recession was more of a, a deep, deep depression and um the wars were, you know, still raging and um and there were protests and there were there were scenes in the book that were much more like um like the Portland of the past that uh I think it was George Bush called or was it was it Reagan? Little Beirut it was much more of the sort of old, old school Portland, you know, there was no Pearl district. There was no, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you know, and, and things sort of changed over the years. I spent, you know, five or so years writing it. And, um, yeah, I definitely that feeling of the, we're losing the planet, uh, you know, in, in various ways. Um, you know, the drought that, uh, most of the country experienced and how that's devastated farmers and, um, and from Isabel's perspective, just, uh, the, the changes in Alaska, where you know she grew up, um, being able to walk up to glaciers and the glaciers are disappearing, um, and and measurably that it, within lifetimes, um, you know, you're able to walk farther and farther to get to that glacier. Now, um, I, I did want that to come through, but not without um, hope. I mean, also I had a child <laughs> in the in the sort of the middle of the writing of this, and that kind of changed my perspective a little bit um I want there to be hope
0: (laughs) and and do you feel like that came into the book in the process of writing it from not being a mother to becoming a mother while writing writing the book
1: um I do yeah um the original manuscript I wrote for my uh graduate thesis um before you know my son was even a twinkle in my eye (laughs) and uh yeah, I, I you get a different uh sense of the world through your child. Um and uh, not that, you know, people without children can't also experience this, but but it does shift your perspective quite a bit.
0: One of the ways in in which I think Isabel makes a gesture of hope is she seems to be a person who She's looking for things of value to preserve them or to fix them. So she's not only working in a library, but she's particularly working with damaged books mm-hmm. and, and repairing them. And in a way, it feels like she's doing the cultural archaeology with the other things she's she's um, seeking out and collecting around her as as a way of of preservation of something that may get lost otherwise. Is is, is that where you find the the epicenter of hope in glaciers? <laughs>
1: Um, in a way, yeah. And, and also in the feelings that come from those, um, the feelings that come from the, as you put it, cultural archaeology, I love that term. Um, you know, she, it's, it's as if by, by looking back, she can, she can rescue those lives that have been lost and those, the, the images of the city that someday may be sunk. Um, and, 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 bring it into the future with her and, and carry it through. Um, And, and that sort of carries over into her relationship with spoke who is, is going back to war. And, um, you know, there's, there's this, I didn't explicitly put it in the book, but there's a sense that they will stay connected. And, um, and that's another way in which I hope that, you know, there's, there's something to look to in the future, the end of the war
0: and and Spoke is a potential love interest who mm-hmm. also is involved in fixing things in a way in, yes. in Portland. Mm-hmm. So he re, he repairs computers. Yes,
1: and and also grew up um, learning to rescue things that other people had had sort of tossed out with his grandfather. They they fix things. They fix bicycles, clocks, whatever. Yeah.
0: Well, let's let our listeners listen to a little bit of the prose from Glaciers. Do you want to introduce okay. the section you want to read?
1: Sure. Um, it's one of the, the sections that is about uh, Isabel's memories of her childhood. And this one's sort of, it's it's about something she doesn't actually remember, but um, but she has seen pictures and has sort of gathered information from family members. And it's about her parents going back to Alaska after she was born in Seattle. The ferry from Seattle was crowded with other families, not Alaskan families, but the kind of loose-minded travelers who pointed and photographed without really seeing. Like other great creatures before them, the glaciers were dying, and their death, so distant and unimaginable, was a spectacle not to be missed. The ferry slowed where a massive glacier met the ocean. A long, low cracking announced the rupture of ice from glacier. Then came the slow lunge of the ice into the sea. This is calving, when part of a glacier breaks free and becomes an iceberg, a kind of birth. The calving sent waves rocking the ferry. Hands gripped railings and feet separated on gridded steel. There were shouts of appreciation and fear, but nothing like grief, not even ordinary sadness. North of Juneau, the boat lingered near some rocks. A voice announced that below, starboard, was the wreck of the Princess Sophia, sunk in a storm just before the armistice. A gale whipped the ship over some rocks and tore her open like a can of salmon. All aboard died in the oily, frigid water. Only the captain's wolfhound, which made the dark, impossible swim to shore, survived. He shivered and howled among the rocks until rescuers carried him away. Only a few yards of mast were visible above the water after the ship went down, and the wind and waves had driven the bodies of passengers and crew miles along the coastline. The travelers, pondering this tragedy, lined the rails to peer into the water. Somewhere beneath them, they contemplated, were the disintegrating remains of a boat not so different from the one they were on. What did they expect to see in that water? Their own wavering reflections stared gravely back at them.
0: In case you just tuned in, we've been listening to a section of glaciers. Uh, we're talking today with debut novelist Alexis Smith. Uh, the imagery of the the glacier giving birth and the fact that the glaciers are at the same time dying mm-hmm. is it seems like a really powerful one. And I, I wondered about the role of gender in this book. Mm-hmm. And uh it feels like a gendered book in a sense, and I didn't know if that was accidental or or intentional. But the the main character, the, the woman being the main preserver, and and the at least the heterosexual men in this book, one is going off to war, and her father is works in oil rigs, and so in a way, mm-hmm. you see them sort of as distant and. Um, participating in some way and, mm-hmm. and harming the earth mm-hmm. was that something that happened accidentally on the page or, or do you feel like you're making a, a statement of, of, of some sort with glaciers
1: i i honestly didn't think about it in, in a gendered way like that necessarily i did i did dr- intentionally draw a connection between her father isabel's father um works on the North or had worked on the North Slope when she was a child, um, for oil company and, um, and spoke of course is going off to Iraq, um, or, and has been in Iraq. Um, and sort of the connection, um, between, you know, the fossil fuel industry and war and the state of the planet, um, and, and connecting these two men that she loves to that, um, was intentional. Definitely. Um, I didn't think about it in terms of, of her as, of, she, this the female spectator of this, or um, being the preserver. I didn't think about, I haven't thought about it in that terms, but um, uh, I, I think she's uniquely positioned as a woman to uh, look at these things and both feel compassion for the men in her life who are sort of, you know, her father needed a job, her family needed to be fed, um, and that was where he could make money without, you know, a college education and, um, and also, you know, feel for him in the sense that he had, he sort of had to go do that work and not really know what it was doing to the planet or what part it was playing. Um, uh, I think she really, I I think it was, you know, that part was intentional, just that, that as a character, she was able to, to connect to these men who were we're doing something that um could easily be judged but um but you know she she loved them and cared for them and didn't want to to judge them.
0: It doesn't feel like the book takes a, a judgmental position on those characters. In my opinion right, yeah. as a reader it, it felt so so uh, the structure of the book, I think, is really interesting because I feel like it really effectively puts the reader in a perspective of doing with Isabel what Isabel is doing with the world. And what I mean by that is the book is very short for a novel, and each of the chapters are quite short. And it feels like each of the chapters in their brevity are giving us little snapshots or or postcards, for mm-hmm. that matter, of, of Isabel and that we, as the reader, have to put her together through these chapters the Mm -hmm. way that she's it feels like even though she's delving into the past and it's it's not even her own past that she's delving into entirely because she's looking at other people's postcards that she Mm finds, and she's wearing other people's dresses she's going through that same enterprise of trying to piece together um who she is through this process Mm -hmm. Uh, and i love that mirroring between the the physical (laughs) <laughs> book and the emotional process of the protagonist.
1: I love that you noticed that. <laughs> it was it was definitely part of the the process of composing it, um, and that from the very beginning, these chapters started as prose poems, actually. Um, and the Alaska chapters came first because I grew up in Alaska, and I was sort of exploring my own memories of the place, and um, and yeah, it was I what you see on the page, um, and Tin House did a beautiful design. Of the book, Um, and it's it's the comment I get from so many people where I can just be like, "Yes, it is beautiful." I had nothing to do with that part of it, but um, they did such a beautiful design with all of the white space on the page, and I think that that part of it also the justified text. The text is in these sort of um, blocks that that flow through the book, but there's a lot of white space, and it sort of gives you a sense of um, of I don't know movement in in the brevity like you know there's like you said the small chapters where each one is sort of its own little scene um or its own postcard um of her life and uh yeah it it comes together really they put it together really beautifully so i just want to compliment them on that but but uh, yeah the 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 short chapters were definitely um intentional
0: yeah. I, I would i would agree with you around the design aspect as well The um it's a pleasure to hold. It had mm-hmm. like the quality of the paper, the, the cover. It feels right that we have a character who's looking for things of quality to mm-hmm. protect. And mm-hmm. you also feel like you have a a, a small <laughs> object. And, and in a, in a way, I, I wonder, did you also mean with glaciers to be a, um, a, a lament about the disappearance of books? I know we talked a little mm-hmm. bit about the, the disappearance of nature mm-hmm. and the, um, trying to hold on to things of value from the past. But we have a protagonist who's working in a library. She's she's repairing damaged books. And mm-hmm. obviously you're writing this in the climate where mm-hmm. the publishing industry is is collapsing. And we haven't found a new equitable model at this point.
1: Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I would say at the time that w- it, it wasn't really at the fore of my mind. I mean, I worked at Powell's for eight years and – um, have always been a huge advocate of books, obviously. But um, but now I sort of, I realize like her job is in danger. <laughs> like, there's, you know, as libraries move more and more even towards ebooks, and um, if they can work out the contracts with big publishers, which is another story. But I, I was just discussing with somebody the other day, whether or not Um, you could have the same experience of this book if you read it on a Kindle and I know lots of people have, I know I, I have friends who have read it on a Kindle and I should, I guess I should ask them, but, um, but I would say that the, the beauty of the book itself, um, and the themes of the book, um, definitely support my, my theory that books will be around forever because they are beautiful objects um besides just what is inside them but um if more and more publishers would concentrate on on say um putting out really beautiful objects that people feel you know comfortable spending their money on um from on more than one level um then maybe they wouldn't you know be in quite the uh position they're in <laughs> i don't know I to, giving out million dollar advances to one author and then uh, you know um, not putting another author out in paperback or uh, in things like this that's um, it's kind of another conversation i guess but.
0: but but definitely one that i think this this book raises maybe unintentionally but yeah. but still raises nonetheless in case you just tuned in you're listening to between the covers and we're talking today with novelist Alexis Smith about her first novel Glaciers so there are many obvious ways in which this book is a, a Portland book. You make references to lots of um, things from the food carts in Portland to Portland geography. But in a bigger way, it feels spiritually like a Portland book to me, And <laughs> uh, in the sense that of the concerns that we've been talking about, um, how to live with this larger trajectory of things maybe going in the wrong direction environmentally with, with books and other ways, how to put together a, a, a culture that that goes counter to that Uh, is that is is this book uh, uh, a love letter to to Portland in some sense absolutely evocation of that yes that aesthetic in Portland
1: yeah absolutely and and other cities too um, have the same kind of vibe that Portland has but I mean especially with the way Portland has sort of captured the country you know um, via other media (laughs) like Portlandia or Or even, um, you know, the television show Grimm, which has been filming in my neighborhood a lot lately. And, and, you know, every time I post 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 on Facebook about it, um, I have friends from all over the country who are like, that show is great. It makes me miss the Northwest. And, um, but I, you know, I moved to Portland, almost 13 years ago, um, when it was a very different city, um, in a lot of ways, Um, the Pearl District didn't exist. And, um, the Mississippi corridor wasn't around. I mean, there are a lot of these sort of great um, neighborhoods in Portland that just weren't here, but there was still this sort of love of Oregon and um, the Willamette Valley and just everything about, um, you know, being a, a Northwesterner. Like people moved here very intentionally to be here, and I think that that um, as the city grows, it's really that is is coming out more and more
0: and well, uh, well let me pose a question to you related <laughs> to glaciers and, and uh-huh. portland and the city's changed a lot in 13 years mm-hmm. you've named some of the ways in which it's changed and this book really deals with um this where are we going is, is one question mm-hmm. that this book is raising and and what are we losing in the process of going there. yeah absolutely how are you feeling about where portland's going in in that process
1: um
0: is it mostly a positive thing, or are it's, you, I mean,
1: are you? I, I'm. I would say that it's mostly I feel mostly positive about about Portland, and I still love living here. The things that bum me out most, I guess, are that um, someone like me who's living a creative lifestyle, and I guess there are a lot of you know someone's like me in the city right now, but um, you know we don't make a lot of money, and so I've been gradually moving sort of farther and farther out of the city because I can't afford to live in sort of the central districts of the city anymore. And um, right now I live in St. John's, which I adore. I love St. John's. Um, But at the same time, I see it changing the same way that every other neighborhood I've moved into and out of in Portland has changed. And um, so housing in Portland is just, you know, especially being a single mom, like it just freaks me out. Like, how am I ever going to afford to buy a house here? How am I ever going to afford to stay in the city and, um, you know, barring having Oprah pick my book in my next sure. book or something? You know what I mean? Like, I, I like the existence I have. I don't aspire to make like tons of money or anything like that. But um, but how am I going to keep living in this city when I sort of am just eking by right now? <laughs> Um, at the same time, I take advantage of a lot of this the stuff that happens in those neighborhoods when great restaurants show up or, um, you know, great little shops or bookstores or, you know, things like that. I like that stuff. I appreciate it. I appreciate the ingenuity of the people who are opening their own businesses. And um, yeah. Well,
0: even though these aren't the concerns of your protagonist, Isabel, specifically no. this <laughs> sense of fear around the future, like you're expressing for your own life, it seems to definitely be in, in Glacier's. Did you ever um, wonder whether you were going to write fiction versus memoir when, when you started delving into your memories from Alaska? I didn't. <laughs> you knew all, all I knew
1: t- I would have to fictionalize parts of it. Um, sure. uh, the family stuff, I'm pretty straight up about. The the, the family um, element, Isabel's family, is very, very similar to my family. Um, but the Isab- I am not Isabel, Isabel is maybe someone I could have been if I had gone in a different direction at some point in my life, but um, but uh, I never did consider writing memoir. Um, it seems trickier to me somehow. I don't because because it has to be at least somewhat fictionalized. So I just assume call it fiction. And
0: well, <laughs> well what, what I wonder a little bit when reading this book and Isabel's process if Isabel's process of going into the past might be similar to your own process in, in putting together the book as a writer because she has a strange interplay between delving her memories and imagining things that haven't happened. So uh-huh. she'll, she's craving some connection to her past and she's going into her her childhood in Alaska, but she's also picking up postcards written from two people she's never met and mm-hmm. she's imagining their whole lives. And uh-huh. so there's this Um, dance between the two between memory and imagination and Mm -hmm. i imagine if you were going to delve your own (laughs) past that there would have to be a dance similar yeah
1: i think that's a really great connection uh i hadn't thought about it quite in that way but um i think that's a really beautiful way of of thinking about composition um and especially i i definitely do that myself yeah
0: Um, glaciers takes place in one day Mm -hmm. and um you make a reference, an unnamed reference at the end of the book to presumably Virginia Woolf when someone's telling their a story about visiting a, mm-hmm. a place where a writer drowns herself in mm-hmm. England. Is this an homage to Mrs. Dalloway, which also takes place in in one day?
1: It it definitely started out that way. Um it was a really there was one particular moment when I I woke up and I turned on the radio and it was right after the two bombings in in London. Um, and so this is post 9-11, but, um, you know, it's it was in an, the time when anxiety was still really high. <laughs> and, um, and the first thing I thought was, you know, what would Virginia Woolf make of this situation? Like, you know, she has a soldier character in Mrs. Dalloway, of course. There were other soldiers in literature who sort of influenced me as well. But, you know, she was really trying to feel what it was like. She was trying to express what it, it felt to be um, a person outside of the war, but in the war, you know, at, in Mrs. Dalloway, and um, and I was really struggling with with my feelings about the war at the time as well, and um, and so the it, the sort of present of the book started at that moment with that with that idea. It definitely um, I d- I didn't use it as a map so, really, but.
0: I think the presence of the the war just off the page is crucial to glaciers for me. Uh, maybe mm-hmm. because it feels so strange that we could be at war for mm-hmm. 11 years and and everything can feel so yeah. normal. Yeah. And it would be very easy to write glaciers without that. You could write Isabel's Enterprise without having <laughs> um, spoke. But it adds us other quality that I think really dimensionalizes the book for me the fact that yes people mm-hmm. are leaving this this enclave and going off and mm-hmm. doing or experiencing horrible things
1: that was definitely part of what I wanted to get at because it um, I would never consider joining the military and I was sort of I think there were a lot of assumptions by people um, sort of in my class or um, friends of mine about who would join the military and why and and you know and how ha- how to how are they going to join this when they get back where we've sort of just been going on day to day you know going to target and doing whatever you know the, the eating out at restaurants and doing whatever we do and sort of you know shaking our heads at how horrible it is and and driving our cars home and you know i just i feel very conflicted about it i don't have neat tidy feelings about it and i think that was part of why i wanted to to bring a soldier character into it because the war is very different now than it was in world war ii and in world war one and um you know we don't have victory gardens anymore and um and here i am (laughs) no civic participation back home yes there's a and and our sense of entitlement is still really great you know um and that you, there's not a sense that we should be giving much. Yeah. I feel, you know, pretty conflicted about that.
0: So, Alexis, are you are you working on a new project at the moment?
1: I am, yes. It's another novel.
0: Can it's you a, tell us a little bit about it? It's a longer
1: it? novel. <laughs> it also takes place in, here in the Northwest, um, more in Washington, um, in the Puget Sound area. And um, there's a bit of a mystery to it, but also um, with a female character sort of in the lead and— um, very different from Isabel I'm discovering but uh
0: are you finding that this book is so unique in its form and structure and tone that you are writing your second novel in in response to wanting to do something different because of the time you spent with glaciers or is that not is that interplay not necessarily there
1: well it's it's curious because glaciers being my first book and never having done it any other way i do i am finding myself right now thinking what is the shape of this book going to be? Like, you know, are the chapters going to be long? Are they going to be short? And what's going to work for telling this story? And it really just has brought home that each story has its own form, its own shape. And um, finding that is not easy all the time. (laughs) Well,
0: it was a pleasure reading Glaciers and, and having you on Between the Covers today.
1: Well, thank you for having me.
0: We were talking today with Alexis Smith, debut novelist, the author of Glaciers. You've been listening to Between the Covers. I'm David in your host.